the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us at 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Thursday. And we are loaded this Thursday, the eighth morning of the month of groom in the year of our Lord, 2023. When I say loaded, I'm talking about four phenomenal guests who are coming up starting in about a half an hour. When we welcome Professor Dr. Scott Gerber to our program, Professor Gerber is a law professor at Ohio Northern University in Ada. He is fighting for his career because he dared to suggest that in the Ohio Northern University DEI realm, or D-I-E as I call it, realm, that they also push for diversity of viewpoints. That's it. That's all. If you're going to do diversity of skin color, of sex, of sexual orientation, ethnicity, etc., let's also include diversity of viewpoints. Let's make sure that everybody can be heard. They tried to fire him for that. He's fighting for his career now. He's going to tell us all about it. Coming up at 9.35. Uh, at 10.10 this morning, Dr. Everett Piper will be with us, as he is each and every uh, Thursday to lead us through the culture wars. We're going to talk about Pride Month. 
with Dr. Piper and what the Bible says about the deadly sin known as pride. Agnosticism, more honest than Christianity. We're also going to talk uh, to Dr. Piper about Pat Robertson, who we just found out. Uh, this is a breaking story of within the last 15 minutes. <clears throat> Pat Robertson, the founder of the Christian Broadcasting Network, the legendary uh, evangelist, uh, died at the age of 93. And... Um, uh, Dr. Piper knew uh, Pat Robertson and, and in, fact, in fact appeared on his program, and he's going to want to talk a little bit about that. So that's coming up at 1010. At 1035, <clears throat> Siamak Karami, and that's how I'm going with the pronunciation until he tells me otherwise, is the producer of a new documentary uh, that's being pushed out, uh, put out by uh, the, Salem, uh, uh, the Salem Empire, if you will. Um, it's called Leaving California, The Untold Story. It's a 70-minute documentary that explores the unprecedented mass exodus of California and its root cause. Uh, Siamik is a, uh, a television host in California as well as the editor of the Epic Times in Southern California. And this is a Salem uh, vehicle, and we are going to uh, tell you all about leaving California and why you should watch it at the Salem uh, News Channel uh, and uh, Salem Now. And then at 1110, we're going to talk with Tyler O'Neill, who's the managing editor of The Daily Signal. And Tyler O'Neill is the author of a book called Making Hate Pay, The Corruption of the Southern Poverty Law Center. And it's a perfect time to talk with him because that's going to be our lead story this morning. We are going to talk about the fact that if you are a mom and you are for liberty, you are a part of a hate group. They literally have designated Moms for Liberty now, a hate group that is right along the lines of the neo-Nazis and the Ku Klux Klan. If you can believe that, that's right. So we're going to talk about all of that this morning. We've got great guests. We will try to squeeze you in. Like I've said to you before, on days when we're really crowded with guests, you've got to hit them where they ain't. <clears throat> Find a spot in between uh, uh, the guests that we do have on and make your call strategically placed at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Now, before we get started on that story, uh, what do you say we rise? Patriots? Face your flag, put your hand on your heart, and join us for our pledge. If you do not believe in said liberty, well, we're not going to force you to stand. You can go ahead and take a knee over there next to your favorite unemployed quarterback. You're more comfortable there anyway. For the rest of us, let's stand and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, so the Southern Poverty Law Center has issued a new report, and it has decided that the Ku Klux Klan, the racist organization, neo-Nazi groups filled with hatred for others, they can now be joined by... Moms for Liberty. Moms for Liberty have er, has earned a spot on the SPL, uh, uh, SPLC's Year in Hate and Extremism 22 report. They counted 1,225 hate and anti-government extremist groups being present in the United States last year, up from 733 in 2021. How about that? Can you imagine that? 500-plus more hate groups formed in one calendar year, according to the SPLC. The question, of course, is how do you define a hate group? And the answer is anybody with whom the SPLC, the far-left Marxist organization, disagrees with. 
Schools especially have been on the receiving end of ramped up and coordinated hard right attacks, frequently through the guise of parents' rights groups, says the SPLC report. These groups were in part spurred by the right-wing backlash to COVID-19 public safety measures in schools, but they have grown into an anti-student inclusion movement that targets any inclusive curriculum that that contains discussions of race, discrimination, and LGBTQ identities, end quote. The SPLC report also hones in on the Florida-based group Moms for Liberty, specifically. It's a nonprofit with 280 chapters in 45 states, about 115,000 members, one of the organizations that the SPLC calls at the forefront of this mobilization of right-wing hate groups. Quote, they can be spotted at school board meetings across the country wearing shirts and carrying signs that declare, we do not co-parent with the government. The SPLC writes about Moms for Liberty, calling it an extremist group. I want to pause for a second there and ask you, is there anything extreme about a sign that says we do not co-parent with the government? Is there anything that one might consider hateful about saying we will raise our children? The government doesn't get to raise our children? The group hijacks meetings, the SPLC says. Hijacks meetings, preventing officials and parents from conducting their normal proceedings. Claiming the, uh, They claim the organization's activities make it clear that the group's primary goals are to fuel right-wing hysteria and make the world a less comfortable or safe place for certain students, primarily those who are black, LGBTQ, or who come from LGBTQ families. I can hardly read these things, these things without laughing, honestly. They are afraid, and, and first of all, the true danger of something like the S. PLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center, is the fact that there are legislators, lawmakers at state and at federal levels who take what they have to say seriously and use it as a backdrop for legislation that they push. For declarations, again, of hate groups and so forth, they use this information. The SPLC is literally nothing more than a left-wing extremist radical organization hell-bent on destroying capitalism and this republic. I mean, it's not, it's not hard to decipher, truthfully. This is what they do. And now they have targeted parents who go to school board meetings. As if, what the hell is wrong with you, mom, dad? Don't you know you surrender your rights to the state the moment you drop that kid off at school? Don't you know that they parent your kid for seven hours a day? You don't have a right to question how they parent. It's extremist of you to even think that you belong at a school board meeting. I mean, it's, it, it's, this, is, this is radical stuff we're talking about here. The primary goals are, again, to fuel right-wing hysteria and to make the world a less comfortable or safe place for certain students, primarily those who are black, LGBTQ, or come from LGBTQ families. Let me ask you this. Who do you think 
Which students do you think feel more comfortable in their spaces right now? Do you think it's more comfortable for LGBTQ-identifying kids or straight kids? Particularly straight kids who make it known that they're straight. Particularly straight kids who make it known that they are not part of the Rainbow Mafia. Because the answer is very, very clear. Privilege exists in this country right now. Except the privilege isn't to straight white kids. It is to queer um, kids of color. They're the ones who are being celebrated. Look online. Look at the photos of schools, hallways, classrooms, buildings. Those that are still in session. Now that quote-unquote Pride Month has started, Groomer Month has started. Look at them all. You tell me who feels more comfortable there. A kid coming from an LGBTQ house or a straight kid going, what's all this? Other education-centric groups added to the SPLC's hate map include no left turn in education, parental rights in education, and parents involved in education. The president and CEO of the Marxist uh, hate group known as SPLC, it's quite interesting that they literally are a hate group as they ban a brand um, all of these other organizations as being hate groups, but nonetheless... Margaret Huang said in a press release that the report is exposing a concerted effort by hate groups and extremist actors to terrorize communities and gain control of public institutions by any means necessary. These groups are descending on Main Street America and disrupting people's daily lives, too often with dire consequences for communities of color, Jewish people, and the LGBTQ community. No one is allowed to harm or even speak out against the LGBTQ community or communities of color because they are the ones who suffer the ramifications. When's the last time an LGBTQ member got fired for being LGBTQ? I'll save you the suspense. Never. It's not happening at all. When's the last time a straight white person got fired for not supporting LGBTQ, for not being sufficiently woke, for not, I'm going to talk to one of them right now, or in in about 10 minutes, when we talk to Scott Gerber, for not being sufficiently woke and supportive of those things. They're getting fired all the time. So who's got power? Name-calling parents who want to be part of their children's education as hate groups or bigoted just further exposes what the battle is all about, said Moms for Liberty co-founder Tiffany Justice. It, uh, who fundamentally gets to decide what is taught to our kids in school? Parents or government employees? We believe that parental rights do not stop at the classroom door, and no amount of hate from groups like this is going to stop that. That is uh, part of a statement by Tiffany Justice and Tina Diskovich, who are the co-founders of Moms for Liberty. So that's where we are. I mean, it's, it's literally that serious, and it is literally that radical. This is what they've done. If you're a parent who cares about your kid and you want to go in to the school board meeting and challenge the board members on some of the uh, left-wing orthodoxy and the dangerous sexualization of children in classrooms and so forth and the, and the pushing of racial 
uh, theory, racist theory, like critical race theory on kids to make little white kids feel bad about being white and to make little black kids feel bad that they're always going to be oppressed because they're black. If you go to school board meetings and dare challenge any of that, you are in the SPLC's crosshairs. That is, again, it would be it would be bad just generally speaking, but the fact that, that legislators at the state and federal level use the SPLC uh, as a... Uh, as a backdrop or as uh, some evidence of some of the legislation that they try to push is extraordinarily dangerous. All right, it's 924. It's Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob Prance of The Answer. I kind of always thought that uh, free speech was part of the American dream, but I, I could be mistaken. I don't know. Apparently, it depends on what university you attend, what university from which you have graduated, or in this case, what university you currently work for. Uh, speech is uh, not always free, and uh, it is certainly not always protected, and that's something that our next guest has found out. Professor Scott Gerber, Dr. Scott Gerber, is the law professor I was speaking of earlier. He is the person who is fighting for his professional career, for daring to suggest that the the, um, D in DIE, which is diversity, inclusion, and equity, should include viewpoint diversity as well as uh, sexual orientation and racial diversity. And Professor Gerber joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer, to talk more about his story. Uh, Dr. Gerber, good morning. It's good to have you on the program. How are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. Thank you. I'm doing okay under the circumstances. Give us um, give us the background here. I, I read just the very beginning of your article, this op-ed that you wrote for the Wall Street Journal, to my audience uh, that it was on April 14th, so we're talking just a couple of months now that you've been dealing with this. Tell us what happened to you. Yeah, okay. Well, first of all, the Wall Street Journal found out about it and asked me if I would write an article. I didn't just write one and sim- submit it over the transom. But what happened was on April 14th, which is a Friday, I was teaching my constitutional law class, and that runs from noon until 1. And right as we were wrapping up, uh, several campus security officers come into the room, walk down to the front at the, to the lectern where I am, and whisper into my ear something to the effect of, you're a respected member of the campus community, please follow us quietly to the dean's office. And so, of course, I was confused and frightened, and uh, I looked into the classroom, and my students also looked confused and frightened. And so then they escorted me up the stairs, and some of them were, uh, some of the students were in the aisle, so I had to squeeze through them in a perp walk. And right at the door um, uh, outside of the classroom were armed uh, uh, aid of town police. And then they then followed me into the dean's suite and then uh, took me into the dean's office. And the armed town police and the campus security uh, remained in the dean's suite to guard it. And so then when I was in the dean's suite, he handed me a two-page piece of paper and said, if I don't sign it in a week, he's going to institute dismissal proceedings against me. And um, I didn't know what I was alleged to have done wrong, and I asked him multiple times. 
and I recorded the meeting with the dean, and uh, so I have that evidence. And there was also an officer in the room, and he overheard it. So I, multiple times, I said, "What I'm, what am I accused of doing?" He wouldn't tell me, and so he then banishes me from the campus with three weeks left to go and final exams. So it adversely impacted my students' educational experience. Not only did it scare them, but it also impacted them. And so I've been banished ever since. We're talking with Dr. Scott Gerber. He's a law professor at Ohio Northern University in Ada. I went to Heidelberg College, so I'm very familiar with your university. Um, Before I ask you for a bit of a a summary explanation of what was on that two-page paper they wanted you to, to, to sign, can you tell me, in your opinion, Dr. Gerber, why they had to come and get you while you were in the middle of class? I'm going to assume you have office hours during the day. I'm going to assume you, even if you teach, say, three classes a day, you're out of class a lot more on campus than you are in class. They couldn't come and get you privately and say, we need to talk to you and come on down to the dean's office. That's number one. And number two, that they had to have armed ADA police along with campus security? I mean, were you accused of a violent crime that I'm not aware of? Of course not. I, I've, I've never been in a fight in my life. Um, why, why do you they think did. they would need that show of force, of armed security to come and talk to somebody that they have a problem with? And like I said, it's the kind of walk, I called it a perp walk, because um, it's got to be embarrassing to be walking out of your class with these armed officers, or actually with these campus security officers, then the armed police waiting for you. Um, I, they, they, they were putting you on display. They were. Sh- it sounds to me like they were showing everybody you do not mess with this university. Why do you think they did it in such a public way? I think they did it for that reason, and they also did it to humiliate me publicly and to frighten me into signing that release of claims document. And one other uh, point about the document, because I'm over 40, under federal age discrimination law, they were required to give me 21 days to consider the document, to consult attorneys and things like that. And even if I had signed it, which I did not, I would have seven days to change my mind. But they only gave me seven, so they already violated age discrimination law. And uh, so, you know, one, I've gotten a lot of um, support from uh, professional groups and, and, and individuals and the like. And the American Association of University Professors, which is the most important uh, faculty uh, rights group in the, in the country, and they're on the left, by the way, and I'm not on the left, but they nevertheless have written the university twice, and they're going to write them again. And they were very, very upset that I was banished from the campus uh, with no hearing at all because that then poisons the campus against me and then makes it impossible for me to get a fair hearing. And so, that, so, so that's, that's why they did it. Dr. Gerber, um, tell me about the paper they gave you that they wanted you to sign. They wanted you to try. I think they tried to probably disorient you and confuse you and frighten you and intimidate you into signing something right away. What was on that two-page paper? Yeah, the only uh, uh, accusation was uh, inadequate collegiality. And so they were going to terminate me for for inadequate collegiality. And, of course, in the faculty handbook, yeah, in the faculty handbook, Hello? Yeah, I apologize. Continue. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, in, in the in the faculty handbook, uh, insufficient collegiality isn't even listed as a grounds for termination. So they used armed police and humiliated me and all of that uh, to try to terminate me for a ground 
that one isn't true, but two isn't even listed as a reason that you can terminate a tenured professor. And any termination would have to be for really horrific things, and they list six or seven things. And one of these outside groups pointed this out. The American Council of Trustees and an alumni pointed out that you're terminating this guy or trying to for something that's not even listed in in the handbook. And um, But they just think they can do whatever they want. The rules and the law don't apply to them. So that term was on that paper, inadequate collegiality. And I'm curious as to what the scale is for collegiality. How does one assign, is it a 1 through 10 and you have to be above a 7? But we determined you'd only be at a 5 on collegiality. I mean, honestly, it's it's it sounds like the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard. They are grasping at straws to try to remove you without any just cause whatsoever. And they didn't tell you, which is bad enough, but you said in your article that you wrote for the Wall Street Journal, you suspect why. And it does have to do with the viewpoint diversity you requested. Tell us more about that. Right. Um, uh, uh, Last year, I was uh, unanimously elected in the fall by my uh, uh, university faculty uh, colleagues, essentially vice president of the faculty. In our system, it's called vice chair the university council. So they thought highly of me. And so in that capacity, it's my job to raise concerns about things that the administration is trying to do. And like a lot of colleges and universities, they're pushing this DEI uh, material. And so I politely at a council meeting raised my hand and said, please remember to also address viewpoint diversity. And so the administration looked like I was from another planet. You know, essentially, uh, the impression I was getting was how could anyone think differently on something like that? And then the president herself, on two separate occasions, says that said that viewpoint diversity would not would not be part of our DEI initiative. And on that point, by the way, just amazingly to me. Uh, Governor Mike DeWine was interviewed on the radio yesterday by one of your colleagues in Cincinnati, and he was asked about this. And he said that he had read an article about it, and he wanted to make sure that the colleges and universities in Ohio did value viewpoint diversity, did allow students and faculty to think differently from one another and from what he called the, the, the overwhelmingly left perspective on these things. But at my university, they didn't allow it. And I had written a couple of op-eds on this point. I'd given a TV interview on this point. And um, in prior years, I had pushed back against illegal hiring practices. For example, in the law school a couple of years ago, we had a hiring process where we had six finalists, and not one of them was a white male. And so I asked, how heavily are you taking race, gender, and ethnicity into account, and they uh, didn't tell the truth about it. And then finally they admitted they took it into account. And then in our accrediting documents, to appease the accreditors, they say we're not only taking it into account, but we're emphasizing it, emphasizing it. You're not allowed to take it into account at all in hiring. And so any citizen, any employee is allowed to object to illegality, and that's all I did. 
This is um, an incredible story. We're talking with Dr. Scott Gerber. He's a law professor at Ohio Northern University. If you just turn this on, he's fighting for his job after uh, Ohio Northern University attempted to remove him and get him to sign a resignation for daring to suggest that viewpoint diversity should be included in the diversity, inclusion, and equity plan. When they said to you that viewpoint diversity is not part of our DIE inclusion plan, Dr. Gerber, what what did you think of that? Because you, you work, this is a university, this is an institution of higher learning where I thought that the goal was to pursue truth and to consider all viewpoints in the, in the pursuit of knowledge, in the pursuit of understanding. Um, it, does, it, does it make sense to you with all of your experience in teaching and in academia? Does it make any sense to you to say, no, we are not going to consider other viewpoints? We are only going to consider viewpoints that we come up with or we agree with? Of course it doesn't make sense. And more important, it doesn't make sense to me. But more importantly, it also didn't make sense to the governor of the state of Ohio. And as I said, he, he said that explicitly yesterday on the radio but in terms of what happened when they said that at the meeting you know when the meeting was adjourning i looked to a you know a colleague on the university council and i just we couldn't believe that they would say that but we we know that's their mindset uh most people at ohio northern most people on the faculty and the staff they're terrified it's a culture of fear and so people are afraid to speak out but i thought my record was so strong. I mean, it's really strong. I don't want to brag, and I don't want to bore your listeners by reciting my record, but it's very strong. And I also have tenure, so I thought that would allow me to push back politely and state my concerns about the need for viewpoint diversity and also my concerns when these DEI programs drift into illegality, which is what they have done at my university. Dr. Gerber, you mentioned the the Mike DeWine radio interview twice now. Um, Any thought to reaching out to the governor or having your legal team reach out to the governor to see if he would be interested in commenting on this to the university, writing a letter, something on your behalf? I don't think it's my place to do that. He's aware of it. I mean, it was surreal for me. The, The radio host actually contacted me and told me to listen in, and so I listened. You know, you as you know, you, you can listen to your show, or uh, uh, in this case, Bill Cunningham's show, mm-hmm. on the Internet live. And so that's what I did. And it was surreal to hear the governor of Ohio mention me by name and also mention that he read an article about it. He didn't say which article he read about it, because there's actually been a lot of articles about it. Yeah. you know. Um, uh, but he didn't mention which one. But um, uh, so... I'm going to let him decide what he thinks he should do. Professor, but he did he did go to ONU Law School. So he did go there. He he Oh, I didn't know that. Mattered to him. Oh, wow. Yes, he's that's, an alum. Yeah, that's, he's a that's important. He's an alum and in fact his daughter, one of his kids, his daughter several courses from me and she was just a delight, a delight. Wow. That, yeah, I did not realize that uh, that he was an alum. Um so Dr. Gerber, um I reached out to um Apparently a mutual acquaintance of yours, uh, Peter Kersenow, who is, of course, the uh, longest-serving member on the United States Commission on Civil Rights. I would think that this would be of interest to the Civil Rights Commission. Have you had correspondence with them, and um, is, there any, is there any movement there? Um, I haven't. Actually, I've been, uh, I'm on the Ohio Advisory Committee to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, and I've been on it for 15 years, and so 
what our committee does in various state advisory committees do is we write reports and do um, on-the-ground uh, investigations for the U.S. Commission, and Peter is one of the commissioners. Um, so, But, no, I haven't reached out to him directly. One of the other commissioners is, is apparently aware of it, and someone else had reached out to her about it. And um, uh, But maybe I should do that. I'll run that by my lawyer. Well, it's just interesting. I wonder if your administration considered the fact that the person that they were just trying to run out of his job happened to be on the Ohio Advisory Committee to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. As they try to violate your rights simply for suggesting that they consider viewpoint diversity, uh, that this might not be a violation of your civil rights. And, and as, you, as you pointed out, I mean, <clears throat> when they lied to you, about not only considering but emphasizing the role of race in in you know uh, decisions that they make in terms of giving awards and so forth, do they not understand that you literally are a representative, not a representative, but again, as you say on the committee, the advisory committee for the Civil Rights Commission, you would think they would be towing the civil rights line. Um, I I think that they're acting on emotion uh, and anger. And I think that they thought that they would just frighten and humiliate me into signing a document in an illegally short amount of time. They didn't expect me to stand up to them to get so much support. And I know that they could not have imagined that there'd be so much media coverage on this and that the Wall Street Journal would publish a piece on it. I mean, that's the most important newspaper in, in, in the country that they would publish that, my piece. And, of course, because of that, everyone else has been asking me to appear and things like that. I just don't think they uh, – they they think – I mean, you mentioned that you went to a competing school. Mm-hmm. Ada, Ohio is very rural, uh, flies under the radar, and I just think that they think that they can uh, just get a, do whatever they want and no one will notice and no one will care. Because if I had taught at Ohio State, um, uh, they probably would have thought twice about doing it. Brilliant point. Brilliant point. That's right. They thought they could get away with this because nobody's paying attention to what's going on there. Nobody's going to care about a single professor in a single rural school uh, in Ada, Ohio. I think that's very well said. Just two more questions for you, uh, uh, Dr. Gerber. Do you enjoy teaching at Ohio Northern? I love my students, and um, and I'm you know getting a little bit choked up here for a second. The the, the 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 I mean it's it's bad enough that they're trying to end my career and ruin my life. I mean that's a terrible thing, but it, it impacted my students. And when I lifted my eyes to the room, when campus security was at the front of the room, whispering into my ear, they looked frightened. They looked frightened, and they'll never forget this. Another friend of mine said, "Scott, the, those students in that room will never forget this." In fact because it was published in this campus, this newspaper, that the law college was put on lockdown. So this was premeditated. They told the students in the other station in the campus student newspaper was it was like it was an active shooter situation. Think about that. Frightened. Um, Dr. Gerber, that's mind-blowing. First of all, second of all, your phone just cut out. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm okay. sorry. Yeah, that's all right. Um, that's incredible that they would treat it like that. And again, in an attempt to humiliate you, I think, and to try to force you. The reason I asked you if you enjoyed it there is, is I can't help but wonder if you are successful 
in putting off this attempt to, um, uh, to remove you from your position. Um, would you even feel welcome there? Would you want to be in a place knowing what they had just tried to do to you? First of all, what they already have done to you, but they tried to remove you. They tried to make you resign and sign a ridiculous statement uh, res- resigning in disgrace. It would have been in disgrace. I mean, I, I, I wonder how the rest of your career is going to go if you if you end up staying at Ohio Northern under those circumstances. Well, what choice do I have? You know, if, if they terminate me, my career is over. No one's going to hire uh, me after, uh, if they get away with this. Um, and so my career is over. So I have no choice but to fight for my job there. I'm, I'm looking but, I'm looking at a third option, though, and that would be that you are successful. Uh, you know, you and I know there is a, a big legal fight in front of you, and we're going to talk about funding your legal fight in a moment. But let's say you're successful. You retain your job. They cannot remove you. They cannot force you to retire or resign, rather. But I'm wondering, once you have cleared your name, in a manner of speaking, and they have not fired you or removed you, but you are successful, then do you just say, now I'm leaving on my own accord and I'm going to go teach somewhere else? I don't know yet. I haven't thought uh, that far ahead because I've been just so preoccupied with trying to, you know, clear clear my name and keep my job and all of that. And one of the Mm -hmm. things that, of course, I would expect is a public apology. And so one of the uh, professional groups, the National Association of Scholars, wrote to the president and said that you must issue Scott a a public apology to try to minimize uh, the defamation that has been uh, uh, perpetrated upon him. And so things like that. And, of course, also I, I would want the people that orchestrated this to be held accountable for it. And if they're held accountable to the degree that they should be, um, it, it would be much easier for me to work there. Um, perhaps Dr. they wouldn't be working there anymore. You know what? That's a great point. That's a great point. The people who tried to to carry out this, uh, you know, this attack on you and to ruin your career and defame you should be held accountable for it, and you should be able to work without uh, that kind of interference and without that kind of a uh, of a problem continuing. Uh, I just thought I'd let you know that Commissioner Kersenow is listening to this interview, and he wanted me to let you know that the uh, Conservative Caucus of the Civil Rights Commission is indeed reaching out to Governor DeWine and to the university on your behalf um Uh, that broke up could you repeat that that sounded pretty important i couldn't hear it yeah uh, commissioner kersenow did send a message to me he's listening to our conversation right now and he wanted me to let you know that he and the conservative caucus of that civil rights commission is reaching out to governor dewine and to the university on your behalf well well, thank you and I, i i very much appreciate that the commissioner is going to do that um so thank you well, and as you know, um, you know, fighting for your for your rights isn't free. Uh, you have legal services uh, that you need to pay for as well. And I understand there's a GoFundMe account that has been set up. I'm no fan of GoFundMe, but I am a fan of what is right and what is righteous, and that is you. So for this uh, for this reason, I want to tell people about the GoFundMe uh, that has been set up to uh, to provide for your legal defense. Here, we want people to find the GoFundMe page for Professor Scott D. Gerber. That's the Professor Scott D. Gerber Legal 
fund. Uh, Professor Gerber is uh, is is on the right side of this. He is being unfairly targeted by uh, the leftists who run Ohio Northern University, and they are trying to destroy his career. If anybody has any ability to donate and to help that cause, I think that's a worthy one if you can find that on the GoFundMe page. Professor Gerber, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. I wish it wasn't a story, but I will look forward to following up on it, and hopefully we'll be reporting in uh, the not-too-distant future that uh, things worked out the way they should, that you have your job back with the apology you seek. Thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate it. Thank you, Professor. All right, that's Professor Scott Gerber, uh, Dr. Scott Gerber as well from uh, Ohio Northern University. That's that's one of these that just kind of... uh, <clears throat> raises the blood pressure a little bit. It, it raises my ire and my anger because what is being done to him, and all he suggested was, hey, does viewpoint diversity count in DEI? And they said, get out of here. 957, Dr. Everett Piper, after the top of the hour news on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. It is indeed, and hour number two is now underway. Thanks for being with us. It is a Thursday morning, the eighth morning of the sixth month, also known as the month of groom in the year of our Lord, 2023. Thanks again to uh, Dr. Scott Gerber for uh, the tremendous conversation, and I urge you to support him if you can. I don't trust GoFundMe either, but I do trust Dr. Gerber, and I trust Peter Kersenow and others who are on his side, so if you uh, can see... Uh, your way to supporting his legal uh, cause. By all means, go to the GoFundMe page for Dr. Scott P. Gerber. Um, so that conversation is followed up by one that I've been looking forward to for several days now because, well, in the middle of Pride Month, we need to talk to somebody who is an expert on the deadly sin known as Pride, and that brings us back to Dr. Everett Piper. He is our regular Thursday commentator and general in these culture wars that we continue to fight. He is a best-selling author. He is a weekly columnist for the Washington Times. He's a podcast host of The Rebellion. He also happens to be a, a county commissioner in Oklahoma. Dr. Everett Piper, good morning. Good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I hope you are, too. Thanks for having me on the show, Bob. Tell me about The Chosen. I read your article, uh, your weekly column uh, in the Washington Times about the Jesus Christ documentary or, you know, docudrama, whatever we're calling the the television production about Jesus Christ called The Chosen. Almost everybody I know is familiar with it. Um, There were rainbow pride flags flying on the set of The Chosen. Dr. Piper, tell us the story. Well, first of all, just this caveat, I know that what I'm going to say right now is likely going to upset some of your followers, because The Chosen has been a a very popular movie, a TV series, if you will, that's crowdfunded. This this thing is successful because it's funded by thousands upon thousands of Bible-believing Christians. Mm -hmm. All right, so I get that. And I'm I'm not panning The Chosen, per se, as a production. Of course. But yes, it is true that one of their employees, um, who happens to be 
LGBTQIA, put a small pride flag on a piece of his equipment on the set. And somebody got a picture of that and asked the question of Dallas Jenkins, the director and producer of the movie The Chosen, why do you have a pride flag on the set of The Chosen? Well, that unleashed a a hurricane of commentary and dialogue and back and forth in social media, primarily on Twitter. And I chimed in and wrote my article at the Washington Times this week on it. And I wrote it not on LGBTQIA per se. In fact, I say nothing about sexuality, homosexuality, lesbianism. I say nothing about the trans movement and sexual confusion on that, in that particular article. What I'm talking about is why are you flying the pride flag on the set of The Chosen? So I'm speaking about what C.S. Lewis called the vice that leads to all other vices, the sin that leads to all other sins, the greatest sin, and that is pride. And I go back and I remind the readers in my article that Jesus Christ is the second person of the triune God. Jesus is God. If you're a Christian, you subscribe to what I just say, unequivocally so. You can't be a Christian if you deny the Trinity, if you deny the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is eternal. He's the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. This is what we believe about Jesus. So if that's true, Jesus is the inspiration and author, if you will, of the Old Testament, just as much as he is the New Testament. So he speaks to us not just through Peter and Paul and James, which he clearly does in the New Testament, but he also speaks to us through Obadiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and David, in the Proverbs and the Psalms and the Prophets as well as in the epistles of the New Testament. And what does Jesus say over and over again from Genesis to Revelation? That he opposes the proud and he gives grace to the meek. I mean, this is the message of the Bible, that the original sin in the Garden of Eden was pride, that we rose up and we wanted to be as God, supplant God from his throne, and start defining everything for ourselves. But yet Dallas Jenkins in response to this Twitter thread that, you know, ask a rhetorical, critical question of why do you have a pride flag flying on your set, basically said, quote, and this is his word, not mine, this is nuanced. And we let our contractors, our private contractors, our actors, wear what they want and fly what they want. Well, my rhetorical question to that is this. Would he have said the same thing if that flag had been a swastika? Would he have said the same thing if that flag flying on the private contractor's equipment would have been uh, Westboro Baptist, God hates facts. Would he have would he have objected to that or, or and said no, take it down, or would he have responded likewise to what he's doing with regard to the pride flag and saying, well, that's a nuanced issue. I'm going to let my my actors fly what they want to fly. Well, I would argue that if it had been a swastika or a Westboro Baptist uh, image, he would have told the contractor to take it down. So why? Why call this particular issue nuanced? And I think it's a problem. And I know I've, I've been beat up for writing this article by my own. You know, how dare you criticize this movie about Jesus? But I think we need to go back to what Jesus would say and did say through Obadiah, through Ezekiel, through David, through the epistles, James, John, Peter, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Yes, he spoke clearly about this issue, and we need to recognize that pride is the complete anti-state god of mind, again, quoting Lewis, and that we should never be calling it a nuanced issue when people start celebrating it.
j- just to provide an opportunity for more clarity here, <clears throat> I can already hear the screams of the uh, uh, people clutching their pearls and saying, how dare you compare the pride flag to a Nazi flag? The pride flag doesn't lead to mass extermination, torture and gassing and burning of millions of Jews and millions of people. How can you compare the two? So, you you know, you of course, they would never let that flag fly, that swastika flag or the Westboro flag fly. But this is very different. This one does not. This one does not do that kind of harm. How, how do you respond to those, Dr. Piper? I'm, I'm, yeah, you're going to hear screams of, I can't believe this, you're a homophobe to the extreme. You just equated uh, the pride flag to these other evil regimes and evil ideas. It is the same. Pride is what led to the swastika. It was pride that said, we are a superior race and all others are inferior, and we're going to declare all other ideas as well as individuals verboten we're going to cancel them it is pride and it's the same agenda that's leading to the cancel culture today oh it may not be the bloodshed yet but it ultimately will lead there richard weaver said ideas have consequences the idea of pride of ideological fascism of cancel culture of microaggressions of trigger warnings it's the exact same idea it's the idea that says i know what's best i know who's Best, I'm going to silence everyone who disagrees with me. And you see it coming because you see the calls for violence by the trans community because the conservatives are rising up and saying, no, you will not indoctrinate, indoctrinate my child with your broken idea. And then you see the call for more violence, more shootings in the name of trans gender equality it's coming bob it is the same so if people want to say how dare you bring it on i'd like to say how dare you deny the equivalency here of pride leading to a very negative end that is exactly why i had to ask that follow-up question because i wanted you to address that because you know it's coming and uh and i think you did a phenomenal job of it uh and it makes perfect sense when you think about again what christ said you know pride cometh before the fall and that's a paraphrase of course you actually quote scripture but it does it comes before so many of the other things that that do indeed uh, and, and are you know emblematic of those uh, other regimes that you talk about uh dr piper let's move on I want to talk about your other column. For those who don't know, you're writing twice a week now for the Washington Times. The second one is a bit of an advice column. You get questions from readers, and you attempt to uh, to answer them and address their their issues. This one is a really, really good one this week. Um, Dear Dr. E, isn't agnosticism, frankly, the most honest position? After all, none of us can ever hope to understand God. He may be out there, but no one really knows anything about anything other than his or her own unique experiences and personal realities. Signed, Honest Doubter from Oklahoma. So I've heard people kind of make this argument before, that agnosticism is honesty. I'm not saying there's not a God. I'm not saying there is a God. I just don't know, and none of us actually knows. So at least I'm being honest. How do you address that? Well, you know how I addressed it in the column. I said... When you argue for agnosticism, as this person did, just did by saying, well, all we, all, all we really can know, uh, empirically so, objectively so, is our personal experiences, our own reality, the things that we experience in our own mind. Well, what that does is it really elevates the self above any revelation of God that would be superior to the self. So you're really putting yourself in the chair of the ultimate authority when you claim the worldview that this person, this questioner, just claimed. You're elevating yourself to be the measuring rod of yourself. 
of your own reality and of good and of evil. So I don't believe that it's the most honest and humble position. I think it's actually a position of pride. It ties into my other article. When you start saying that I can know nothing other than what I can see, what I can feel, what I experience, if you make your own existential reality, your ultimate res- measuring rod of good and evil, right and wrong, what's pure, what's just, and what's good, and what's beautiful. You're the ultimate measure of all things when you claim this ag- agnostic position. Rather than humbly submitting to the reality of natural law, laws that are natural, sense that's common, common sense, and the revelation of God that we get through the Scriptures. When you rest in that revelation, you're humbling yourself before not only the test of time and the history of the Church and the reality and the truths of our founding fathers and the patriarchs and of our faith, but you're resting in a belief, a faith, an ultimate acknowledgement that, as C.S. Lewis said, there is a measuring rod outside of yourselves, and that measuring rod is God's revealed truth. Ultimately, it's the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. It is Jesus Christ himself. Yeah, you quoted C.S. Lewis a lot in this particular response. You refer to him oftentimes in your responses to me on this program as well, but but really, really good stuff there. I want people to make sure that you are visiting WashingtonTimes.com. Make sure you are looking for Dr. Piper's columns on a regular basis because they are phenomenal. You can probably get them more easily if you are on Twitter uh, by following Dr. Piper on Twitter as well. So you can do that at Dr. Everett Piper with two T's, Dr. Everett Piper uh, uh, on Twitter, and you can see these columns on a regular basis like I do. Dr. Piper, will We'll use this as our break so we can come back and talk politics, talk about specifically Republican politics and what one two-time voter for President Donald Trump, super conservative columnist Cal Thomas, has to say about this particular primary election coming up. And we'll get your thoughts on that, too, as we continue. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1026. Now let's continue. I've got four minutes left with Dr. Everett Piper to talk about the upcoming presidential election. Cal Thomas, you may or may not know, is a longtime, uh, well-respected conservative columnist. And Cal Thomas has written an article about the upcoming election, highlighting the fact that he has voted twice for President Donald Trump. But he says he will not make that mistake again. Making a third bargain with the devil is something he's not willing to do. Dr. Piper, your thoughts? Well, again, controversial topic, even within conservative circles. I admit that. Now, I don't necessarily go as far as Cal Thomas and say I'll never do it again. I, too, voted for Donald Trump twice. And in this particular election, I, too, will vote for the greatest measure of human freedom that I can get out of this election. So if it comes down to Donald Trump versus somebody like Gavin Newsom, I'm obviously going to vote for Donald Trump because I'll have less freedom. I don't know how anybody could argue otherwise with a Gavin Newsom than I would with a Donald Trump. So I'm not sure I go as far as Cal Thomas on this, but I agree with the premise of his article. And that it's also the same premise of another article that's out there uh, with one of your competing networks, uh, I think the author is Delano Squires, and he argues that conservatives are on the precipice of succumbing to what he calls the Obama effect. Well, what is that? He says that the black church, the black electorate, was was the most conservative uh, branch, the most conservative uh, part of the Democrat Party prior to Barack Obama. They were very pro-life. 
they were very much pro-traditional marriage. But when Obama got elected, they, they, they shifted gears and they started being apologists for the LGBTQ movement, uh, gay marriage, and all these things that five seconds ago they were, they were condemning. Why, asked squires. Well, they succumbed to the Obama effect, and they started sacrificing their principles for the sake of uh, supporting their messiah, Barack Obama. I think conservatives have to have this debate, and we need to do it without getting angry and red-faced at one another. Are we going to hold fast to principles, or are we going to succumb to the Obama effect when it comes to our own political candidates? And when we start elevating somebody as our Messiah, as the only one, the only one that can lead us into the promised land, our only Moses, our only Messiah, our only Savior, then we better look in the mirror because we might be committing the exact same fallacious arguments and uh, compromises that our opponents have committed under the banner of Obama. I think that's uh, that's well stated, and I, like you, I am going to vote, and I'm going to I'm going to campaign passionately for whoever the Republican nominee is, for all of the reasons you listed. If that's Donald Trump or if it's someone else, but I agree, we do need to make sure that we have an open enough mind to say, if it isn't our favorite person, we will not abandon the cause and go with our second favorite person. People need to make that commitment. Um, Dr. Piper, I, I, I apologize. I meant to ask you this earlier on because I know you had a strong affinity for and you are certainly proud to have appeared uh, with Pat Robertson, but the uh, founder of the Christian Broadcast Network and uh, the legendary evangelist has um, uh, passed away at the age of 93. I just wanted to give you a minute to reflect. Well, I think this is an example of how Christians are a broad community of people who are bound together by the common glue of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The, the, the creeds of the Church, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, these creeds that bind us together as people who worship the Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I disagreed with some of Pat's theology, aggressively so, but I was honored to be on his show once to talk about not a daycare. This is a man who was a, ro- a warrior for Christ. There's no question for that. He's a brother in Christ, even if I disagree with some of his uh, name-it-claim-it theology. He loved the Lord Jesus Christ, and I just quote the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Rest in peace, Pat Robertson. It was an honor to lock arms with you in common cause for the gospel and for it being the washing blood, the cleansing agent for freedom in our country. That is very well said, and rest in peace, Pat Robertson. Of course, the prayers of the faithful are for all of and with all of Pat Robertson's family and closest uh, and friends and supporters. Dr. Everett Piper, we thank you as always. Keep up the wonderful work. We'll talk to you again next week. Blessings. Bye-bye. It is 1030. We're going to take a time out. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk about leaving California. It's not just an idea, it's a movie that talks about and chronicles the idea. Why are millions fleeing Gavin Newsom's hellscape that is California? We're going to talk about that next on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Yeah, not too many people are California dreaming anymore. And with good reason. It has become a hellscape, honestly. 
of high taxes, high crime, low security, no, no family values, wokeness. California is dying. And I hope that's not an overstatement. I don't think it is an overstatement. California is dying. And there's a new movie about its death. It's called Leaving California, The Untold Story. It's being put out by Salem Media and uh, the Epic Times. The editor of the Epic Times, Southern California, uh, is the producer and the director of this film. Here's just a little taste from the trailer. The homeless problem is getting worse. It's not getting better. Crime is getting worse. It's not getting better. Regulations are getting worse. It's not getting better. People are bailing on California in record numbers. Californians are considering moving. It might be harder to find a U-Haul than to find your next home. The exodus of people moving out of California is not new. No sane person would want to leave California if they could make it here. For the first time ever, people are leaving. In 2020, California lost 650,000 people. First time in my lifetime I've heard that. I'm leaving California. Why you should consider moving to heaven. We're going to miss you guys. Several high-profile companies like Tesla have moved their headquarters. I'm out of here. This place is going to stink. Watch. They already have high taxes. This is just the tip of the iceberg. California treats businesses like criminals and taxpayers like organ donors. And people get tired of it. Here's some of our costs. Drivers are paying $7.39 a gallon. $3 million. This is like a normal house. Our problems are man-made. All you have to do is pay attention. Here is what I found. I can't be the only person who's seeing this. The California legislature can't go on forever like this. This is a form of self-destruction. When I came here 22 years ago, it was a different California. Where is the state headed? California will deteriorate. Where'd the money go? This is because of stupid policies. There's no other word for it. The politicians are making money off our problems. People were tricked. They're being lied to, and their way of life is being destroyed. There's a lot of people that you would be surprised by their stories. My entire family is leaving. You know, we left all of our friends behind. Hey, live a day or two in our shoes. We're going to lose the very core values that built this state. California's bad ideas go national really fast. And if California fails, the United States failed. Leaving California, the untold story. <clears throat> Streaming on uh, Epic TV and also on SalemNow.com. And uh, we're going to be talking, hopefully momentarily, with the director and the producer uh, of this film. Um, it's funny, I just literally, and it was not related to this interview, I posted just a meme I saw, and I shared it uh, on my social. You can follow me on social media, by the way, and on Facebook and Twitter uh, and Truth Social. But um, it was just a, it was a you know it was like a you know the welcome to you are now leaving welcome to kind of things when you cross over a state line, and it said um, you are now leaving California welcome to America, and I posted and I shared it and I got a lot of laughs from it and uh, I stand by it. California, the one thing that, that I would disagree with in that trailer, and I'll hopefully going to talk to the, uh, again, to the producer here in, in just a moment or two, uh, Sayamik uh, Karami, as I'm, I'm going to pronounce his name. He's a California resident and uh, a lover, and you just heard that line at the very beginning of that trailer, no sane person would leave California if they could afford to make it here. 
And I'm thinking to myself, that's one thing I disagree with. I've had a taste of California. I lived there for about two and a half years in the uh, first part of this century, in 2000, 2001, and into 2002. Uh, I lived and worked there. And um, I can, first of all, we couldn't make it there. And that's even if you make really good money. Because it is so impossible to live there anyway, just under regular circumstances. I mean, in terms of cost of living and home values, property values, and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, the, that's the one thing in that trailer I display for you I disagree with. I think a lot of sane people, even if they can make it there in terms of paying for it and affording it, who don't want to live among that type of high crime, who don't want to live among that type of high drug use, high uh, homelessness, uh, you know, left-wing uh, schools, left-wing orthodoxy you know, prevailing from Sacramento, and all throughout the state. So it's a, there's a huge reason why people are leaving California in droves. And it's not a coincidence that they're leaving blue state hellscapes like that for red states like Texas and, yes, Ron DeSantis's Florida. So Leaving California, The Untold Story is a feature-length documentary. As I said, it's available now at SalemNow.com and streaming on Epic TV. And I'm told we do have the producer and the director of Leaving California, The Untold Story, Siamik Karami. See, that's what I'm going with because I don't know how to say it. Tell me, if did I get? was I close? It's Siamik, and you got it right. Siamak. Okay. All right. I I feel good about that. I really wasn't sure uh, when I was prepping for this. It's the one thing I didn't have. So we just played the trailer before we locked in on the phone call with you, Siamak, and it is very, very uh, disturbing. But I must say, it is not illuminating to me that this is happening because we already know it's why you did the documentary. The question people are asking or the question you're exploring is why have people finally decided after years and years and years of the cultural and the economic rot of California, why now? Why is why is now the time people are fleeing? Um, Bob, so what's happening is that the one thing that we found out is a lot of the people that are leaving, they really don't want to leave. They love the state. Even though they're very frustrated with some problems that they're facing in their lives, whether it's the cost of living, the cost of housing, crime, and, and all of the things that are happening, they still love the state. And um, when we went deeper... A lot of these issues that people see on the surface, they're tied to the policies of the state. And things are getting more and more extreme in California. The legislature, the laws that are passing, they're getting more and more extreme. And what's happening is that most people have no idea why they're seeing these problems. Um, Even though a lot of the people are probably voting for these policies without really knowing about them. And at the same time, the media has done a really big disservice to Californians by not really covering the root cause of all the problems we are facing. And on top of... uh, I I was going to say, what are those root causes then, Siame? You know, so there is a big, big... um, So if you look at cost of living, the cost of uh, electricity is double the cost of national average in California. Mm -hmm. The cost of gasoline is 40% higher than the national average. Um, the reason it's higher is not because it's sunny here and we pay a sunshine tax. A lot of people think we, we do. It's because we have passed laws to, to uh, there's hidden taxes on utility and energy because we want to uh, save the planet. We have these really aggressive climate policies that there is a cost to them that the average Californian has to pay for it. But, but the average Californian doesn't know the policymakers have made a decision to go this direction. It's going to cost us a fortune 
Um, and, and, and the media is not really pointing to that. The media doesn't tell the average Californian, hey, you know, you're paying a lot more for gasoline, you're paying a lot more for electricity, your groceries are a lot more expensive because we, the government, the leaders you, you chose, they have a decision, they made a decision to go this route um, to save the planet or they have some climate policy. Um, I don't think most Californians would be on board with what's going on. It's just they don't know. That's a really, really interesting piece of information. We are talking with Siamak Karami. He's a television host of California Insider. He's the editor of the Epic Times Southern California, and he's the producer and director of Leaving California, The Untold Story. It sounds like you really do love your state. Yeah, you know, when I came here 21 years ago, and I'm an immigrant, it's just, it's just so beautiful. It's amazing. Um, I fell in love with it. It's always sunny. The weather was great. The people were good. It was a lot of opportunities. It was clean. And, um, and then I, when, what happens is when you live in different countries, you kind of analyze, see, okay, how was it over there? How is it over here? I've lived in four different countries. And what I saw was California changed in the last two decades, especially in the last decade. The change was significant, even the last five years. We didn't have homelessness like this. We didn't have crime. There was... You could leave your doors open. There was not that much crime here. And now we're hearing businesses are shutting down. People are leaving the state because of crime. Um, there's also another angle to this, Bob, the hypocrisy. And, and so the California state, so one of the reasons a lot of people are leaving is because of the housing costs. Young people can't buy a new home. And a lot of the people that are in this, in this, in this boat are mainly liberals. They leave the state to other states because they can't buy a home. California government is always talking about lowering the cost of housing. You know, their talking point, the main talking point they have in the housing is like, we need to build more to make it more affordable. At the same time, they passed a law last year that mandates every new development, every new home to have a solar panel on, which will increase the cost of new homes by thirty to $40,000 a year. Uh, sorry, by thirty to $40,000 per unit. But nobody calls this out. It's you know? remarkable. It's a remarkable thing to think about. There's so much uh, grist for this. Um, uh, first of all, I will bear witness to what you just said about the last 20 years, because it was 23 years ago that my wife and I lived in the Bay Area. We moved there. We could only we stayed there two, and we knew we couldn't stay there long term. I moved there for work. It was two and a half years. Uh, the cost of living then was, I want to say, the property values were around three and a half times what it would be here. You know, a typical you know two hundred thousand dollar home here in Northeast Ohio is six hundred fifty thousand dollars in 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 the Bay Area. And, and and now over the last twenty years, that's even more, despite the living conditions dropping so precipitously to the point where you can't walk down the streets in San Francisco. You can't, um, you, you know, there's so many places where you wouldn't be caught without you know being armed because you were afraid of either crime or or drugs or some other you know kind of calamity befalling you. So the question is, is when you say that you know so many people are leaving their beloved California, is it still their beloved California? Is it still a place that they wish? That you know, if they could afford it, they do want to stay with all of those things. You just mentioned you know, the cost of the climate factors and so forth. But given all of the, like I said, the cultural rot and the, the you know, the beautification that has just gone to hell, um, I, I just wonder why people would even be thinking twice about it. You know, they love the idea of California and they love the history they have had here based on what we have noticed. And, and, and they love the past. 
you know, because the California dream, you know, what their parents, if, if they grew up here, they, if their parents were from here, they, their parents were part of the California dream. So they've experienced that. And, and there's this idea of, of the dream that they are leaving. So, so th- th- that's, that's so why important, have- if I may say, Amek, what you just said is so key. You said they love the idea of California. But the idea of California and the past of California is very, very different than the reality of California and the present. And that's why we made this movie, Bob, because we wanted to show Californians. And we made this movie for the people that are staying and, and people that are in other states, because these ideas are going to come to the other states, and they're already in other states. But we wanted to show to the average Californian, if you see crime, um, if you experience, most people experience a little bit of this or some of this in their life, but they don't connect the dots. You know, if they see crime, they may not see, they may not pay too much attention to the cost of living. Maybe they're doing fine. For some people, they see cost of living, they might see some factors, and they usually don't connect it to the policy. So we did the work for them, for them to see what's really going on and what are the root causes and how California has changed. And you better do something about it by getting informed. Yeah, there's no question about that. The movie we're talking about is Leaving California, The Untold Story. It's a 70-minute documentary, uh, and uh, it's put out by the Epic Times. It is available on SalemNow.com. You know who I feel the worst for? Conservative-minded Californians who live there and who who know every bit of the reason why they are paying what they're paying. Talking about the solar panels you speak of, you know the climate policies they're paying, the extra money for fuel, and and so forth. And and they are so outnumbered. There's no chance that they have to change things in Sacramento. There's no chance that they can get the legislature to do things differently because they're going to go with this you know kind of left-wing orthodoxy that they have. So what would be the reason why a conservative-minded Californian knows they could stretch their dollars so much further in another state would choose to stay well you know the hope is that the middle uh, the middle Democrats will start changing as, as things get uh, uh, too extreme things are getting very extreme and there might be a there 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 we think there is going to be a, a point in the near future where things will change and there will be a shift um, more towards the middle and more towards rationality in the, in the California legislature. Um, and bear in mind that 27% of Californians are immigrants compared to the national average. It's double the national average. And a lot of times when immigrants come here, they kind of more, um, they, they believe in the government and the media. The two things that they believe in, I used to do that. And uh, because wherever you come from, it, this, is much, this is much of a better country, much better of a place. Um, and when you believe the legacy media and the legacy media doesn't tell you that the policymakers are doing this to you, um, you keep voting in this direction. But a lot of them may start waking up soon because they came to this country, this state, because they wanted to get away from crime, <laughs> uh, high cost of living, you know, low standard of living, all of these things. That's why they're here. So there might be, and, and, I, and we're seeing that in San Francisco, too. We're seeing some of the middle-of-the-road Democrats starting to, to change. Yeah, and that is crucial, obviously. And, and, and you know, I, I guess part of the frustration for me, too, is just the, I, I would shrug my shoulders at the futility of it all. The amount of money that it's costing the average worker, and the average worker in California does not make the amount of money it takes to live in the extraordinarily above-average co- prices and cost of living. 
to know that so much of their money that they are spending is going towards something that's futile. And, and it is futile because, you know, putting a, a, a solar panel on every new home built in California will do absolutely nothing for the planet unless literally every house across not just America, not just North America, but literally everywhere did something like that. And then you'd still have to trust and believe that that is the real reason why uh, climate is changing or planet is warming or anything of that nature. So it just feels like it's virtue signaling at its finest. We know we're not making Absolutely. real change, but it makes us feel good. Absolutely. Only 1% of the global emissions come from California. There you go. And, and you know, there's nothing. And meanwhile, we have China, we have other countries that are creating a lot more pollution. While we are buying the solar panels from China, they're actually building coal factories there. And, um, and so, so there's, there's, <laughs> there's a big, uh, you know, there's a big um, uh, gap between what we're trying to achieve and, and how it's affecting people and, and what we are getting out right. of it. Right. So, so tell me this, Yamik, is, um, is there any turnaround? Is there any chance of, of you know, something that would make people say, hey, you know what? I want to move to California. People who have never been who say, I do want to move to California. Things have gotten so much better there. I want to move to California. And to turn people around who have already left to say, you know what? We're going back. We love, like you said, we love the past. We love the idea. We love the, uh, you know, the whole California vibe. If we can make that happen again, is there any chance of the tide reversing? You know, uh, Bob, because I built a business here and I know the people, I've made a lot of, I made a lot of relationships here. I know that the people here are very entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. The people are very creative and, and they're nice. You know, so I, I think there's a big gap between what the government is doing and the policies are and the average Californian. And I think once the average Californian knows what's going on, they're going to change everything. Or they're going to make these policymakers change all the policies. Yeah, though they're going to have to, or else again, you know, it's going to be uh, they're going to have, continue to hemorrhage people. And obviously, with every family that leaves, there's you know more tax revenue that leaves with it. There's more talent, and there's more uh, you know there's so many things that good people can bring to a state. And uh, California seems to be losing an awful lot of good people because of this. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the uh, uh, the entire film. I just shared the trailer. It's Leaving California: The Untold Story. It's available at SalemNow.com. Uh, thank you so much, uh, producer and director of this film siyama karami uh really appreciate you uh, shining a light on this and uh we we appreciate your time very much sir thank you bob have a great day thank you best of luck to you sir god bless there you go siyamak karami is the uh television host of california insider he loves the state and he hates seeing what what is happening to it and i gotta tell you so do i there's no schadenfreude going on here There's no taking pleasure in a blue state's demise because it matters to the country. And you know who else? And I've said this before. You know, a lot of times what we do is we get caught up in a moment and we see something miserable happening in California and we'll say, good, you deserve it. That's what you get for electing Gavin Newsom. That's what you get for electing, you know, Jerry Brown. That's what you get for electing Senator Kamala Harris. That's what you get for electing Nancy Pelosi. Right? And we kind of say it's it's your fault. You keep electing this leadership, and and it's true. And we do take a little bit of yeah, you know, uh, you know, in that. But then I think, like I said, of the people who didn't elect them, the people in a place like California who didn't vote for that nonsense, who didn't vote for those radicals, people who are trying to make it, and they're trying their patriots. 
And they don't like all of this stuff, and I feel badly for them. So, um, I don't know, something to keep in mind when you're watching Leaving California, the untold story on SalemNow.com. We'll be back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway. Good Thursday to you. Once again, thanks for being with us. If you started two hours ago with us, God bless you. Thank you for that. If you just came on ten minutes ago, uh, God bless you and thank you for that. I always appreciate it. I know there's a lot of choices out there in conservative talk radio and in the podcast world, so whenever you tune in to us, it is a blessing, and I appreciate that very much. Great conversations already this morning, three of them. You're going to want to check all these out if you missed them. If you were not part of the last two hours, you're going to want to go to uh, whkradio.com at about an hour after the end of the show at around 1 o'clock and um, uh, take a listen. And uh, we've had three great conversations, like I said, already today. Uh, we spoke spoke with uh, Dr. Scott Gerber of Ohio Northern University. The law professor is fighting for his job for daring to say that the DEI initiative at Ohio Northern should include viewpoint diversity as well as racial and sexual diversity. What a crazy idea, right? Dr. Everett Piper joined us at 1010, as he always does. Uh, and we just wrapped up another great conversation as well, uh, talking about leaving California. Now, let's Let's talk about you. Mom, dad, do you go to school board meetings? Do you dare challenge school board members for the curricula that they green light by way of the administration and the teachers that includes overt sexualization of young kids, sexual orientation, sexual identification, lessons and or conversations, critical race theory, teaching little black kids to be afraid of little white kids because they're going to be uh, oppressed by them, and teaching little white kids to be straight up ashamed of their own selves and their own skin color. If you have ever gone to one of those school board meetings, you are part of a hate group. So says the SPLC. We talked about this at the top of the show. The Southern Poverty Law Center has come out with its Year in Hate and Extremism 2022. And apparently there are now 500 more hate groups and extremist groups um, in 2023 than there were one year ago, according to what the SPL says. And among them, Moms for Liberty. Because Moms for Liberty support parents going into the school boards, as I said, and questioning some of the very things we just discussed. Joining us now to talk about it is Tyler O'Neill. Tyler is uh, 
Uh, the uh, editor, in, uh, I'm sorry, let me make sure I get the title right, managing editor, not editor-in-chief, managing editor of the Daily Signal. He's also the author of Making Hate Pay, the Corruption of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Tyler, it's good to have you on the program. How are you this morning? Hey, doing well. Great to, great to be here. You ever think you would hear something like that? You've been covering, and I'm going to ask you about the book in depth later, uh, but you've been covering the SPLC, obviously, since you wrote this. Um, do you ever think that, that Moms for Liberty would crack the, uh, would crack the hate list to, to be put right up there with KKK and uh, with uh, neo-Nazi groups and others? Well, you know, that, that's an interesting question because I did expect that they would probably do something like this. Uh, they hinted at it back in April when the uh, State of Black America report came out with the National Urban League, and the SPLC had a report in there uh, condemning the parental rights movement as the new uptown Klan. Uh, so that, that <laughs> messaging is what drove this huge expansion and this attack on these parental rights groups. But that is... yes, I mean, it, it, was, it was shocking and absurd see them actually do it and to see just how many you know they go chapter by chapter so even though they only say they have 11 um you know i I think it's like anti-inclusion extremist groups uh they say they only have 11 on there and then if you look at the numbers and how they get to that 1225 overall number of hate and extremist groups it's by counting every single chapter so you have moms liberty listed about 150 times that's incredible. That that is uh, that's an astounding thing. And and let's talk about that. What exactly is the Uptown Clan? What is? I mean, Clan is Clan. What does Uptown Clan mean? Yeah. So you know, in the 1920s was the heyday of the Ku Klux Klan. Mm-hmm. They went lynching black people, killing people uh, for a sensible, um, you know, what they saw as attacks on white Americans, and of course. We all know there was heinous, this was terrorism, and, you know, the, the SPLC gained its prominence by monitoring the Klan and suing some of these Klan groups into bankruptcy. But in the 1950s, there was a movement of parents who were really angry at Brown v. Board of Education desegregating schools, so they started to pull their parents, pull their kids out of school, and they started what had been brand, branded the Uptown Klan. Of course, this movement did not involve, you know, lynching people. It did not involve anything like the actual Klan. And now what you have is the Southern Poverty Law Center has long traded on its history in bankrupting Klan groups to smear conservatives and put them on a map with Klan chapters using the very program that the SPLC invented to monitor Klan groups using that to attack conservatives. So it's, it's ridiculous and shocking that the Southern Poverty Law Center would brand an organization like Alliance Defending Freedom, which is one <laughs> of the premier legal organizations in the United States. I mean, they represented Jack Phillips in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case mm-hmm. at the Supreme Court. They, they have victory after victory after victory at the Supreme Court. This is one of the most mainstream and effective organizations you could find out there, and the SPLC puts them on a map with the Klan. So, you know, when, when you've seen that and been covering it for as long as I have, and by the way, many liberal uh, liberal people, liberal lawyers in particular, 
uh, ACLU former president Nadine Strassen and military religious freedom. Uh, you know, there's this organization, Military Religious Freedom Foundation. It's a secularist group that tries to get any sort of vestige of Christianity out of anything military. Um, but even the founder of that group, Mikey Weinstein, came out and said, look, I like the SPLC, but the idea that Alliance Defending Freedom is a hate group is absurd. And, you know, th- these are very you know, left-leaning people criticizing it, too. Um but yeah, so when you see the SPLC do that for years, and they had a terrorist attack uh, come against one of the supposed, you know, quote-unquote hate groups because of the hate map, after you've seen that, you know, adding Moms for Liberty is, is extreme, but it falls in line with what the SPLC has been doing. We're talking to Tyler O'Neill. He's the managing editor at the Daily Signal and the author of Making Hate Pay, the Corruption of the Southern Poverty Law Center. I want to ask you a follow-up question, about, a little bit about the Moms for Liberty. But first, I, I want to talk more in general about the SPLC. You wrote the entire book about it. Tell us about the book. Why did, when did you write this? And uh, I have not read it, so full disclosure, I have not read it. But I love the principle. I'm judging the book by its cover, and I'm judging it by its title. I'm also judging its author by his alma mater because he's a Hills. Grad. What year did you graduate Hillsdale? 2012. My daughter just graduated three weeks ago from Hillsdale. Oh, so, oh congratulations. Yeah, yeah so, uh, yeah, so I, I trust you all automatically without having read your book. But now, <laughs> having said that, what was the genesis of the idea of writing about the SPLC? What can you tell us? Yeah, so in, you know, I, I had been following, so in 2012, there was a shooter who, broke, who entered the Family Research Council headquarters with a bag of Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches. And this was at the, the height of the whole Chick-fil-A uh, controversy. Mm-hmm. And he planned to shoot everyone in the building and smear a Chick-fil-A sandwich in their faces. And, you know, I, I know people at FRC. I've gone to events at FRC. I had gone to some events there that summer. And I knew that they were not a hate group and that this was absurd. But, of course, it came out that he was using the SPLC hate map to target them. And so, you know, fast forward to 2017, when you had the Charlottesville, uh, the Unite the Right rally there, and the SPLC started raking in Boku bucks from Apple, uh, from, you know, I think it's J.P. Morgan, uh, because everybody was freaking out. They're saying, oh, because Unite the Right, we have to support organizations that are fighting hate. And it's like, the SPLC is is a bankrupt organization, morally bankrupt organization. They're not fiscally bankrupt, um, but a morally bankrupt organization, and they're getting all this money and all this attention. And I've been seeing people filing these lawsuits, trying to make a dent, restore their good name uh, after the SPLC had smeared them. And then, of course, in 2019, the SPLC fired its co-founder amid a racial discrimination and sexual harassment scandal. And all of this, just I've been covering these these stories beat by beat. I've, I've gone on Tucker Carlson to talk about them, and I just I saw the SPLC as the tip of the spear, and I still do as the tip of the spear of the left push to demonize conservatives and Christians and silence their voices in the public square. And I thought it was important to have a full length treatment of why their hate group accusation is utterly morally bankrupt, cannot be trusted at all, 
the SPLC is not a neutral arbiter of hate. And the fact that it's considered that way by so many people is a travesty. So I decided to, to rush the book out. And I've been, you know, talking about it ever since. And this year in particular, I've just seen the SPLC embraced by the Biden administration, the FBI citing the SPLC and going after, quote-unquote, radical traditional Catholic hate groups. Um, This is an organization that is utterly morally bankrupt and yet still uh, enjoys large support from the left, has a $730 million endowment, and has been able to shake off most of the defamation lawsuits from conservatives who are trying to defend their good name in court. Uh, so I thought I would put this book out there, and I, I still, you know, I believe it's very important to expose this organization, especially when they're going after parents who, as you noted, you know, are raising concerns about sexualized content for their kids in schools, about, you know, schools that believe that children should be, quote-unquote, affirmed in an identity opposite their biological sex, put on a path toward cutting off perfectly healthy body parts and put on these drugs that will sterilize them and stunt their growth without parental consent. I mean, these are, these are absurd things that I never would have thought in a million years our schools are endorsing. And as parents come out and speak out against that, they're being branded haters and put on a map with the Klan. Wow. Uh, we are talking uh, with Tyler O'Neill, and we're talking about the um, Southern Poverty Law Center. He's got a wonderful book, an important book. It's not wonderful in terms of uh, its content, because it's very disturbing, but it's important uh, that we know about this. So, Tyler, um, in, in the book, excuse me, the book is uh, uh, Making Hate Pay, the Corruption and, uh, of the Southern Poverty Law Center. I want to go back to what we were talking about specifically with respect to Moms for Liberty. And I'm going to read from the SPLC report. <clears throat> uh, quote, at the forefront of the uh, this mobilization is Moms for Liberty, a Florida-based group with vast connections to the GOP that this year the SPLC designated as an extremist group. They can be spotted at school board meetings across the country wearing shirts and carrying signs that declare, we do not co-parent with the government, end quote. As if that is like their money line. Like, how dare they not let the government co-parent with them? That's what makes them extremists. But but here's right. what I'm going to do. I want to put you to the test here, Tyler. Um, the left is saying that if you believe that Moms for Liberty and supporters of Moms for Liberty and conservatives, then how dare you pass laws that stop parents from getting their kids gender-affirming care? How dare you pass laws that say moms and dads don't know what's best for their kids if they want to schedule their kids for um, you know, hormones and puberty blockers and castrations and, and mutilations and so forth? The government is supposed to stay out of it, I thought. Now suddenly you want the government to co-parent. How do you respond to that claim of hypocrisy? Yeah, so I think that is probably one of the strongest arguments that the left has. I but, don't, but I just well, want to hear no, yours. No, no. What, what I'm saying is it, it's a strong argument, but it ultimately falls apart when you look at it in any sort of in-depth investigation. Because what we're talking about here are, ex, are experimental treatment, experimental, you know, quote-unquote treatments on children. I mean, I, I hate the, 
the phrase gender-affirming care is such an Orwellian double-think um, term because what these drugs do, they, they sterilize kids, they stunt their growth, they put them on a path toward cutting off perfectly healthy body parts. And, you know, we, we recently saw that the very study, the Dutch protocol study, that has long been touted as proof that transgender, that these experimental transgender surgeries are good for children, involved one one boy who, you know, went on these quote unquote puberty blockers, so his you know his sex organ never grew to its full potential. So when he wanted to undergo a surgery to create a, a fake female sex organ, what they had to do, they took lining from his from his digestive tract and tried to create a fake vagina out of it. And it killed him. It killed him because they couldn't do it. It was a really experimental disastrous surgery, all in the name of affirming this kid's identity, which, you know, and, and he died as a result of it. Where we have, thank, thankfully we have Republicans in the house and Senate who are demanding answers because the NIH funded a study on gender, you know, quote-unquote gender-affirming care, where two individuals committed suicide in the middle of the study. And they didn't stop the study. They seemed to think, oh, well, well, individuals, you know, if, if you're transgender, you're more likely to commit suicide anyway. So, uh, you know, when, when two kids commit suicide in a study... That's not reason to shut down the study or reason for real alarm. They've been touting this study as if it was proof that gender-affirming care is good and helps people. And if you actually look at the data, there's no such proof. There, there are all these confounding variables that makes the data not scientifically reliable. So we know, you know, let, let, let's zero back here. We know that these surgeries are experimental. We know that it's roiling the scientific community right now because, because very powerful entrenched interests have kind of taken over. We've seen the American Medical Association, the uh, American Psychiatric Association, like all these organizations um, essentially taken over by transgender activists. And let's look at the bottom line. People make a lot of money from these transgender treatments because they put kids on a lifelong path where they need medicalization until they're dead, essentially. And what you do with all this, you know, we've seen tremendous institutional capture. And now these, these Republican governments are finally saying, enough. These, these so-called treatments for children are anything but and look, if you're an adult and you want to do horrible things to your body, you know, that's you, you have the right as an adult. But the state does have an interest in protecting children from these interventions to which they have no notion of being able to consent. They don't know what they're signing up for. And the parents arguably can't give a consent for them because in a lot of cases, you know, a 16-year-old, a 12-year-old has no notion that in 20 years they're going to want to be a parent, right? Like, they have no notion of what they'll want in their life. 
And what they're signing away by taking these treatments. So I, I do say, though, that that is a strong argument because the reason why the right has galvanized rightly along parental rights is because this institutional capture and this forcing of things down Americans' throats is separating parents from children. And we're rightly standing up for parental rights in when it comes to what their children learn. But when it comes to actually destroying bodies, right. that's, and that's what it is. That, that's yeah. what it is, and that's the one thing, you know, and, and it's why I kind of disagreed with you at the start when you said it's their strongest argument, but it's easy to pick apart. It is easy to pick apart, and that's why I don't consider it strong. It takes two, two, two seconds of common sense uh, to explain this. And the reality is, of all of the psychological impairments that exist that are known to man, that are known to psychology, all of them, there is one and only one that require that uh, prescribes a course of treatment of bodily mutilation to deal with their psychological psychological issue just just one and it's this one and 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 that's the one that moms of uh, for liberty are fighting against it's what conservatives are fighting against and it has landed us spots on the SPLC's uh, hate list. Tyler O'Neill, managing editor of The Daily Signal, author of Making Hate Pay, The Corruption of the Southern Poverty Law Center, and 2012 Hillsdale grad. Good guy all around. Tyler, great stuff. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. I'm sure we'll talk again. Hey, my pleasure. God bless you. 1129. We'll get news. We'll come back. I got one more segment, and this is your first real shot to get in this morning. If you got something to say after four good interviews, let's hear you. 216 901 Right back. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. My oh my, what a busy day it has been. Great conversations with a lot of great people. If you missed any of the interviews, you shouldn't have. But you can make up for that by checking those out about an hour after the show. At about 1 o'clock, they'll be available at whkradio.com. Just go to the podcast page and check it out. So, briefly, um, Gen Z is going to be a problem. Not for me and for you, because it's too far off their chance to uh, destroy this world, this country, rather. But uh, let me just give you two quick stories that let you know that it's coming. Less than 30% of Gen Z voters um, in a recent survey is very proud to live in America. That's number one. This was a survey that was conducted by, let's see, the Morning Consult, and uh, one roughly one-third of Gen Z Americans is proud to live in America. Or, I'm sorry, very proud to live in America, as the poll goes, specific wording. The companion story to that is a different survey by a different organization that found that that found that one third of Gen Zers would be perfectly fine with the government surveilling them in their homes. You follow this? 
Gen Z, according to this survey, this was done by the Cato Institute, that roughly one-third of Gen Z would allow the government to surveil them in their homes with cameras. Like straight-up Big Brother-type cameras. The government is watching in your homes. And they say the reason they would do so is in order to reduce domestic violence and abuse and other illegal activity. If, if it helps the, the, the government catch crime, they're willing to allow themselves to be surveilled in their own homes. Um, there's hardly a way to describe how frightening that is. They're willing to let gov- the government put cameras in their homes to spy on them, and they say that they're not very proud of, of living in America. And there you go. Don't they go hand-in-hand? These are two separate surveys. They found them in two different places. They don't go together, but I'm putting them together because I think they do. If you were proud to live in America, the reason you would be proud is because of the liberty, because of the freedom, because of the ability to do what you want when you want, as long as you're not harming others and committing crimes. The liberty, the freedom is what makes America great. These kids don't respect the country they live in because they don't value that liberty. They're willing to to, to surrender it in order for a little bit of, uh, of, of a drop in crime. Domestic violence, abuse, and, quote, other illegal activity. Think about that for a moment. The youngest generation doesn't understand what makes America great, and that's why they don't necessarily feel proud about living here. That's, a, that's an astounding statistic. Also, do with you will on this one, but the same survey by Cato about, um, about you know, surveillance in your home also had some interesting results along racial demographics. Turns out that African Americans, 33%, and Hispanic Americans, 25%, are far more likely to allow the government to surveil them in their homes than white Americans, 9%, and Asian Americans, 11%. I mean, literally more than triple African Americans over white Americans would rather have or would, uh, would, uh, would allow the government to surveil them in their homes. Asian Americans, 11%. Triple there, too. Triple uh, African Americans, triple Asian Americans, too. And then Hispanic Americans, more than double. Don't know what that says. Don't have time to figure it out, but I found it interesting. Uh, AC is in Cleveland. AC, thanks for waiting. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, AC. Hello, Hello, Bob. Yes, sir. Excellent show. I wanted to make a comment about the Scott Gerber interview. Please. They barred him from campus. Is that correct? Uh, I believe so, yes. They tried to get him to resign, but he wouldn't sign the paper. So at at the moment, I believe he's suspended and isn't allowed to come back. Well, what I see missing from what they did is they didn't give him a restraining order. How could they legally bar him from campus without a restraining order signed by a judge? I don't know the specific laws, but I don't think you necessarily have to have a restraining order unless it's for the purposes of preventing somebody from doing harm. Uh, A suspension means you're just not allowed on the property. Um, I think you can get suspended from your job if you work at a factory. If you work at Ford and you do something wrong and they suspend you, you can't come back until they lift the suspension. I don't think it takes a court order for that. Okay, well... um I feel I feel bad for the guy. I do too. Really, this is like Nazi Germany, and I'm glad you brought this out. You know, I commend you 
for, for bringing this out. This is really tragic. It is. It is. And uh, and you know what? It's it's on the radar of a lot of people. He was right. He mentioned the uh, group of lawyers, uh, Lawyers Association, that wrote letters to Ohio Northern University's administrators telling them to lift this suspension. Uh, they were from Harvard. They were from, from law schools and, and the legal professionals all over the country who were taking up for him. So, And as I explained during the interview, Peter Kersenow of the Civil Rights Commission, they are reaching out to the governor of this state and to the administration at Ohio Northern as well on his behalf. So this is this is gaining a lot of traction, and it should, because you're right. It's not it's not that far off from Nazi Germany or any other totalitarian regime when somebody can be be removed from their position, have their job taken away from them for suggesting that people be allowed to speak freely. And that's all he did was say we should have intellectual diversity and viewpoint diversity in addition to racial and uh, sexual diversity. Um, That is very totalitarian in its uh, in its origin. Well, I will definitely pray for this man. I really will. Yeah, so. I will too. And I'll tell you what, and thank you, AC, for the call. I'll also encourage people, if you have a few bucks to spare, um, his legal fees are going to be through the roof as he fights this. And there's a GoFundMe that was set up not by him but by some of his colleagues to try to generate some support for him. So by all means, uh, I don't like GoFundMe any more than you do. Uh, it's left-wing, and it bothers me that people use it, but that's what was used and set up by somebody. And if you want to support Dr. Gerber, uh, the uh, law professor at Ohio Northern, please go to the GoFundMe site and look for do- uh, look for Dr. Scott P. Gerber uh, and give him that support. Sally and Bria is going to wrap it up for us. Sally, go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Regarding the last interview, um, Sebastian Gorka yesterday uh, interviewed a psychiatrist, Miriam Grossman, and I imagine you've quoted her at different times, but she had an excellent uh, book that she has out, and in our interview that he did with her, she outlined how we got to this point with the puberty blockers and the surgeries, and she condemned the medical and psychiatric community for their participation. And she had um, suggestions as, well, not only historically relating it, but how people can um, work with children, parents, and mentors to uh, try and um, prevent their uh, contamination. So um, I just wanted to mention that as, as a reference, Miriam Grossman. I was driving, so I don't have the name of the book, but I went no, to get No, but you know what? That it. helps. The, the name is good, though. Uh, Sally, thank you for the phone call. Miriam Grossman, I will definitely look that up. Uh, I don't know that I've quoted her before, so I'm glad to get that information. It's great reference material. I appreciate your call. That's it. Thanks to my guests. We had four of them. Uh, thanks to my team. We have three of them. And thanks to you for listening. Many, many more. I appreciate that. God bless. Be well. Be safe. Stay free. We'll see you tomorrow morning on a free-for-all Friday. Bye-bye. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.